Hey guys, uh, for this episode in particular, we want to give some trigger warnings. Um, we go pretty deep into child abuse, um, domestic abuse, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, um, rape. Uh, we talk about abortion. Um, gosh, what are some of the other things? There's a lot. It's a heavy hitter, you guys. And that's all coming from a place of someone's actual story and someone's actual life experience. So um, we know that this could be a real blessing to many, but we also know that this might be a really hard thing for some of you to hear. And if you're not in a good heart space and headspace to hear things that are just a little too close to home or um, that would put you in more of a um, somber headspace this morning. Um, even though the story does have a happy ending, we just wanted to, you to know that, um, this episode is, is pretty heavy. So, um, if you need to pause and wait to come back next week, we totally understand. (sighs) Okay. So Marion, we keep this very cash. Okay. That's handy. It's handy. And, even though it's going to be super heavy, if we can still laugh. If you have jokes, or <laughs> if you have jokes, we to will lighten, laugh. We will laugh so hard to lighten the heavy. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and we're back. We're we're back. Amber's grandmother, yes, did pass away. She did. We've been talking about it for like three <sighs> months. I, think. I love her. She was stubborn to the end. Stubborn to the end. Wanted it her way, and she got it. Let me tell you, she got exactly what she wanted. Yeah. Always. The death was, you know, hospice is an interesting thing. It's an interesting phenomenon that I knew nothing about until my grandmother went into it. And um, you really do bond with your hospice nurses. Yeah. Shout out to Judy and Emily. And you bond with the social worker, if you're my family. Yeah. Praise God for Christine. And, you know, you, Peter and I were talking about it after that the process was so beautiful and like hard but beautiful that it when Mm. she left and moved on in her journey um that was incredibly normal like we were like what is this going to be like to see someone die like yeah you actually like they're now right there well, no. Okay, so before we have yeah. the rest of this conversation, I'm going to introduce our guest. Yes. <laughs> In case she laughs on the side and nobody knows who it is. Yes. <laughs> we have with us tonight, I'm so excited. We've been trying to plan this for like five or six months, and finally it's all worked out. And Hooray. we have the wonderful Marion Cyberson with us tonight, One who's famous only. in her own right as a <laughs> financier or whatever you call yourself. A, financial advisor. A financial advisor. Which She's is super a, fancy. She is super <laughs> fancy and super smart and as far from what I do as possible, which is like a bohemian artist who doesn't do anything really and uh, lives off the kites. Except of make everything beautiful. Except for that. Yeah. Accounts for a lot. Thank you. It I does. receive. I receive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's hard in this season when money seems like it has no value anymore, and I'm stressing a little bit. But that doesn't make beauty. No, important. I know. I mean, oh, in totally. Auschwitz, beauty oh. was the most important thing. Oh. Seeing a flower, yeah, seeing something beautiful, a bird, it made all the difference. So mm. it's super, beauty is super important, especially in hard times. Yes, that's, that's true. Oh. Well, anyway, Marion's going to talk to us about I wanted to I wanted to, to do a deep dive, and we're going to still follow up with you, honey. I just, we're going to do a deep dive into your traumatic childhood, mm. take a break for a delicious dinner, and then do your <laughs> traumatic marriage. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so. I brought a card that he gave me for my birthday that was so good. Oh. Are you going to read it to us? I oh. will. Okay. So first, Amber, I'm sorry. So now that we've Is introduced okay? our no, guest, no, and now nice. you can continue and tell us all the So things, how Graham passed away. So yeah. yes. So my grandmother was the most modest woman in the world. And as she started losing her ability to walk and losing her ability to use the restroom, we knew the end was near because that was not something. Like, I, I won't even go into detail because she would be mortified, and so I want to honor her. Is she here um, with us right now? 
What? <laughs> I was she flipping. She's, yeah. Um, and so she, oh. uh, my best friend Catherine and my best friend Rachel were at my house the day before she passed away cleaning it like mad women and um, making me food and doing all the things while me and my sister just sat and stared at my grandmother. Did you know that she was dying in that moment? Like really oh, yeah. dying? That night Could you she feel started, a shift? That night she started actively dying, which means that like her, she went unconscious. So temperature okay. rises. Yeah. All of that kind of stuff. And so oh, okay. the next day she was struggling and fighting and her oxygen was down to zero and we're all just kind of staring at her like every time she'd breathe we'd be like okay is that the last one is that the last one and Peter so I was at one side my sister's on the other side and Peter was rubbing her feet and he looked at me and he said ladies I'm going to say something that you do not like and we said what is it and he said Catherine told me yesterday that when her mom was dying in hospice they won't do it in front of some Private, stubborn people yep. do not like to be stared at when they die. Yep. What do you think Graham would think? And I was like, dang it, he's correct. Didn't so, I text you that same thing like yeah. earlier that day? Yeah. Every, I was like, like you every, might have to leave. Because yeah. <laughs> they won't go. They, were, they won't no, go when you're there. Not, I mean, mm. an hour with zero oxygen. It was amazing. It was just like, what is happening? So literally my sister gave her a kiss and said, I'm going to go take a shower, Graham. And hospice was on the way back to like do a reassess because we couldn't understand what was going on. So we were wondering if her bladder was full and we might need to catheter and things like that so that she was just comfortable so she mm. could release. Mm-hmm. And so I said, Grammy, me and Peter are going to go sit outside and just get some fresh air oh. and wait for hospice to get here. We love you. And we each gave her a kiss. And within five minutes, she was gone. Yep. Oh, she just wanted to be alone. Yep. And I think she was doing it to protect us. Yep. She didn't want us to see it. And mm. um, yeah, oh. it was really heartbreaking. But it was but it was beautiful. Like hospice, and it was amazing because hospice was there. And our hospice nurse, Judy, was incredible. She had a very similar childhood as mine. So we got to talk a lot. Um and she gave us, me and my sister a book to read. And, like, she was on top of it. She was a rock star. And she was there. And, um, she, you know, she and I talked about what how we wanted Graham to be, you know. And I was like, how, mm. you know, how to move forward until the funeral home gets there. And I gave her a hug. And me and my sister walked away. Because that was, like... Mm-hmm. I had done like it was kind of finished, and I didn't. Did feel- she ever move from that clutched position that I saw her in? Um, no. Like she was kind she of was like, like holding the- onto the bed, and well, or- no, she was still, but she was she liked to be curled up. She's just like me in that way. It was mm. so funny. Peter a couple times was like, "Oh my word, this is what you're going to be like, isn't it?" <laughs> and he looked at Michelle. He's like, "Oh my word, this I don't is think you're gonna want to die alone, though." No, I, I don't. Th- think I don't I want will. to. I want like everybody. You know, paint my nails still and rubbing my feet and yeah, I don't know my if favorite show and uh, things. Yeah, I think I'll be okay being pampered. But my grandma's much more stubborn than yeah, me in that way. Sure, but yeah, and so then me and my sister walked. Thank um, God for Catherine because you know what she said that to me when we were bustling, and she's like, "Some people won't die when they're with people and they have to be alone." I was like, "I've never thought of that." No, I always think of death as something like you're holding someone's hand someone's with you maybe a lot of people are with you yeah I would that's have how, never like, that's occurred what caring to me feels like to me is yeah. like that vigil yeah like keeping vigil and you guys we kept vigil. did it yeah I, <laughs> I told everyone I was like I didn't see Amber I, I I hugged her hello and I hugged her goodbye mm-hmm. and it was like there was something like eight hours in between and she never they didn't even go to the bathroom i was I like no they I did pee you guys were not days. self-caring at all and well com- the last I mean, your sister days. literally didn't leave the room no the last three days she was needing medication so that she could breathe comfortably like um mm. so that her she didn't feel that need of grasping air even though and she and medicine to help keep her calm every hour and every two hours so we were on the around the clock and you knew what to look for when she needed more meds it was, or you, just, it was just a, it, it was, was just, just scheduled it was so okay. i actually on my phone had from mm. about 9 30 p.m until about 9 30 a.m an alarm for every hour in case either of us drifted off 
Oh my goodness. And then we knew around 9.30 Peter would be up. And he tried to help a lot. And he did. He, I mean, Mr. Small wins for the year. I mean, he did Aww. all the transitions. He was like the one who would pick her up and carry her. We well, called yeah. him. We called him the boss. <laughs> so when she would get like really grumpy, he'd come in and be like, "And his, you know, Peter, super bossy." He'd be like, "Phyllis, you need to stay in bed. Your legs don't work anymore, and I know that frustrates you, but mm. you need to stay in bed." What a good guy! And he was, Aww. and she'd go, because <sighs> she was just so frustrated because she couldn't do what she wanted to do, and she was misindependent. Mm-hmm. So I mean. It was definitely a journey that I never thought I would go through and never a journey that I wanted to necessarily go through. You know, like I wasn't like, woohoo, I want to do hospice. Mm -hmm. But I will say it was a beautiful testimony of love and care and the circle of life. My children were incredible. The way they handled it, the way they loved Mm -hmm. her. Isabel wins all the gold stars. She nursed her, took care of her, gave up her bedroom, mm. you know, sat with her, was there with, and the nurses, because she wanted to be a nurse, like totally enveloped her. It was, mm. can't keep talking about her other than start crying, but yeah. it was, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I recommend if any, mm. if, if the Lord puts that in your hands as something that you might need to do, it is incredibly, you are dependent on God through it. But I would t- say to receive that with open arms mm. because it is something that God will use in your life. It's almost like a home birth. I've it attended is. home births mm. and several people in hospice. And it's very like that because it's not like a hospital. No. It's very relational. It's very personal. And it's very calming, even in the insanity of the emotions that you're feeling. It's really beautiful. Hospice is. is a wonderful thing. Yeah, it was really beautiful. And it felt, it felt <laughs> like. How are you doing over there? Uh, you know. Your mic is falling. Uh, we'll, we'll deep cut. I think you have to use the thing and. There. I'll just hold it because I'm feeling like that's where I'm at today. Okay. Sorry. Um, no, I just think that for me, it was very relational, Marion. You're right. And it was very family. Mm. Um. It was super hard because my, my family is so broken, but this is a bond that me and my sister will have for the rest of our yeah. lives that will connect us to the deepest place. And we did what our grandmother wanted. It was really flipping hard, but we did what our grandmother wanted every step of the way, even mm. when it didn't make sense to us. And that's the hardest thing about hospice it is the opposite of caring when you have babies because when you have babies and you're caring for them, they grow and they flourish. And when you have, mm. when you're caring properly for people in hospice, they're fit, falling away. Like, so it's like a little mm. mind. Right, it's going against twist. every fiber of your being. Cause I every. remember being like, well, is she on, does she have saline? Does she have a, a, a drip? Cause you're like, she's not eating or drinking. I was like, well, she's not drinking. She's going to die. She's <laughs> like, exactly. She can't. Uh, she doesn't she want couldn't. to drink anymore. And I was like, but, 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 People yeah. in her situation, they, they do. They stop eating and then they stop drinking. Yep. That's the choice. And they know that that's part of letting your body right. shut down. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you. <laughs> Pause. We're back. It was beautiful. Mm. It was hard. My family's crazy. Her funeral is you, Now tomorrow. you're not talking close enough to the mic. Move it closer. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> her her funeral's tomorrow. And then me and my sister and our husbands and our children are going away for... Because all of they all get bereavement, and I'm on summer vacation, so we're just taking that, and mm. we're going to the mountains, and so we're going to spend time good. together and just recover a little. Well, I think rest. the thing that we have discovered is that me and my sister are it. Like we don't like mm. we have our dad, and he's wonderful. Um, but mm. as for my maternal side, 
we just lost the only person that cared about us. Mm -hmm. So it's time to just mourn that and let it go and just know that we're kind of orphans in that way and just kind of press into each other. So, yeah, I agree. And yeah, now you have each other forever. Now you can level up in that relationship, which could be fun. Yeah. What does that look like? Listen, we have done and seen and been and dove into some things we never thought we would do. So I think yeah. we're pretty solid and it will be interesting to see how we grow and mature in that way. Well, that's a really good intro into yeah. Marion's uh, life. And I'm just going to let you start that story because I I recently wanted to have lunch with Marion and be like, I want to hear more of your story. And it was, uh, you really should write a book. It's been included in a in a book, part oh. of it, along with <clears throat> several other women who've had bad experiences with abortion and stuff. Yeah, but it was just it's yeah. That's uh, I think a traumatic childhood that was like sustaining for a very long time mm-hmm. is kind of what I. But I, I think that it could be so such a blessing to a lot of people because there's a lot of other people who have similar stories and not enough of them are told like not enough of them are a lot of people just keep it because if you live near your family you don't want to embarrass them you don't want to you don't want to I moved away so I had freedom to say my story Mm -hmm. because I'm not close by all those people Mm -hmm. Um, and that gives me freedom that people who have grown up here or grown up in an area don't have because Mm-hmm. I had somebody who said to me once, aren't you worried you're going to be in the meat department of a supermarket and somebody's going to say, there's that girl who Aww. did bad things and thinks God forgives her. And I said, nope, I don't give a crap. I mean, I want everybody to like me. I want them to like me a lot, <laughs> but not so much that I'm not going to be bold for the truth. Exactly. But yeah. I have the freedom to do that because I'm not hurting people. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, my family, my sisters and brothers don't really know this story. Oh, wow. They didn't have the same experience? No. And they didn't know what was happening with me. They know, they know some of it. I don't even know what they know, but they don't know oh, wow. all the stuff. And you don't want to tell them? You don't have that relationship? It, 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 I don't see the benefit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you speak the truth in love, and it's supposed to provide a purpose. Yeah. What's the purpose? Mm-hmm. Just so I can tell them. Mm, yeah, yeah, I don't think that's no. Okay, valid. In my case, it just seems better to mm-hmm. leave it alone. If they ever want to know, I'll tell them. Yeah. I mean, they know that I've gone and spoken about stuff, but they don't ask, and I'm not telling. So, mm. okay. Are your parents still alive? No, no. Okay, but my mother was alive up until recently. Mm-hmm. So, relatively recently. Yeah. Okay. Do you want me to tell? Yes. Once I do. Upon I want a time. To, okay. <laughs> Once upon a time, Mary okay, and Cyberson so was born, and I, then what? Yes. So I'm the oldest of five, born to two parents who, by the time they were married, 13 years, were already divorced. Father was never drank, but um, lost his temper all the time. So it wasn't alcohol induced, mm. and it's not untypical now that I'm all grown up that men. I mean, I read a book whose name I can't think of. Um, oh, darn it. John, who, whatever, whatever. And he said that men sin because they are passive or because they are bullies. They don't step into the strength God has for them, and that's mm-hmm. how they sin. Hmm. Passivity, you just do whatever you want, and they sit there and they kind of let you be the boss, mm-hmm. or bullies, where they push mm-hmm. people around, lose their temper, mm-hmm. and do... Stupid things. Hmm. I can totally see that. Meaning like unhealthy men. Unhealthy men either don't do anything or do too much. Correct. In in the wrong direction. Correct. Yeah. So instead Mm -hmm. of finding the strength that God called them to be, Mm -hmm. so that that way they're strong without losing their marbles. Mm -hmm. So, um, So my father was angry all the time, and he would come home from a long work day. My mother was... Suffered from mental illness and not, I, I, I don't even know. Her parents were, uh, they were alcoholics 
and mm-hmm. she was put into a boarding school, a Catholic boarding school when she, I'm named after a nun, when she was mm-hmm. 12 years old. So the only time I ever visited her mom, her mom had one piece of furniture in her living room, and it was a bed in the middle of the room. She was in her pajamas or something horrible. Um, my father brought us there after after mass one day. My mother didn't know. And the only thing my grandmother had in the refrigerator to offer us was beer and other oh. hard liquor. So This is in her house? This was in my grandmother's house. Oh. My mother's mother. So she had limitations. Mm-hmm. When she and my father first met, the first date they had, they fought. <laughs> and the next day they decided they should get married. Oh, man. <laughs> and they were married within a year. Okay. So they just had a... Um, she would like be passive aggressive and then he would just lose his marbles and smack people, smack us, smack her. Cops came to the house. So I can't stand chaos. I just can't stand chaos. I, I'm a planner. I just got audited today. The auditor said I passed with flying colors and he said, you've got systems in place. I don't have to give you any advice. And it's like, I like a plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm just like, that's how I control the lunacy of the world mm-hmm. is I have an agenda for mm-hmm. family nights, for whatever the heck, how to pack the camper. I've got an agenda. So mm-hmm. I couldn't stand the chaos. And as the oldest, I was bossy. Mm-hmm. Which sometimes happens. We're all, we're all, yeah. Yeah, we're <laughs> exactly. all firstborns here. You know uh, what I'm talking bossy. about. Yeah. If Super you see bossy. something missing, you're just like, I'll take care of that. Mm-hmm. So um, it didn't take long for me to be um, trying to take over to try to make the lunacy stop. Yeah. So my mother would act passive when my father would start screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when mm-hmm. I was 13, um, so I guess I married 14 years. When I was 13, my father was screaming, and the cops had been at the house not too far behind that where he neighbors had complained because, and we lived on a busy street, so it's, it wasn't like mm-hmm. we were in a quiet location. Mm-hmm. We, there was a lot of noise going on for them to have called the cops. Anyway, cops came. Um, I just sat there by the police car hoping somebody would see the trouble and save us. Mm. But I didn't say anything because I don't, didn't have the tools. Like take you away? Yeah. I mm. wanted them to take us. Make mm. this freaking insanity stop, please. Oh, man. So, um, so my father's having a big fight with my mother. My mother is cowering in the corner and I just walked into the room and I said, look, we don't want you for anything except your money. You might as well get the heck out of here. And he left and he never came back. Oh, wow. So immediately after that, I was like, up in my room, crying hysterically, like, don't listen to me. I'm a freaking kid. Mm-hmm. And my mother was just like, mm-hmm. acting like oh, it was just. I can't handle it. I yeah. Handle it. So then my mother, who didn't have much of a childhood, started having to work. She mm-hmm. worked in New York City. She was a marketing person. Oh, wow. And she would start not coming home at night. So I was watching the kids, making dinner, going to school. At 13 and 14 years old. Same mm. girl, same. I know. So then no. my mother says, um, she taught me how to not get pregnant. Here's how you get pregnant. Here's the pills to help you not get pregnant. I wasn't considering having sex with boys or anybody else for that matter. Mm-hmm. But I felt like somebody would give me permission. It was mm. now okay to do this. Oh, okay. So I started having sex at 14, and the purpose of it was to get a hug. Mm. I just need somebody to hug me. Mm -hmm. My mother did not hug us. I asked her one time, so can I sit on your lap? And she said, if I have you on my lap, I have to have four other people on my lap, lap, and I don't have time for that. So we didn't have pillows because it was bad for your neck and your back. It just, we didn't have stuffed animals. So it just felt... There was nothing cozy. Yes, and it just kind of... Oh. It's like... It I, hollow. Yeah. So anyway. Oh. Um, yeah. So I got pregnant at 15, mm. lost my virginity at 14, got pregnant at 15, and um, mm. planned the... I got pregnant on purpose. I had learned what you're supposed to do to not get pregnant. 
I did not take the pill, and I knew I was ovulating and that this was the time, wow. it, this is the time to get pregnant. Um, and I got pregnant by a boy who had no idea this was happening. So um, my plan was, and I went, when I found out I was pregnant, went to Planned Parenthood because they were giving out free tests. So I went to Planned Parenthood, took myself to North New Jersey on the bus, found out I was pregnant. They went on about the options, not keep the baby options, right. abortion options, mm -hmm. which was legal in New York, uh, New York State. So I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So I went to a pastor who I didn't know mm -hmm. at a church I never went to. Like that same day? Or a uh, day yeah, or not very far away because yeah. you feel a sense of huge urgency. Any mm -hmm. minute, everybody's going to know. I don't have a lot of time. Something mm -hmm. bad's going to happen here. If I just sit and have pizza on the couch, there's going to be a child. So, um, oh it's what it feels like. Yeah. It, there, it just, even feels, when it's planned, that's yeah. what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, this church was really picturesque. It looked like a, needlepoint kind of picture stone mm -hmm. wall vines all that pretty stuff in a park with a stream so i went there and i was not um gentle i was look you're gonna hate me mm -hmm. so you might as well hate me now so i was very seemingly tough mm -hmm. um and I said, so I'm pregnant, and I've got an abusive father, and my mother's a drunk, because she was. She was bringing men home from bars, and they were having sex on the couch. And um, Anyway, so, you know, and I've got an abortion scheduled. And so he pulls out, no talking, pulls out the bottom drawer of his desk, and I think he's going to... I went to him thinking he was going to say, you're a slut, but, you know... Mm -hmm. God is mad at you, you yeah. but I have resources, and we're going to mm -hmm. send you in those, to those locations. Mm -hmm. And that's not what he said. He opened up this cash drawer, and he handed me $200 in cash and oh said, don't tell my congregation they wouldn't understand. Oh, and so I left there thinking, okay, mom thinks it's okay to get pregnant. Planned Parenthood thinks abort, and I thought I'm telling them the story, and then they're deciding what the choices should be for me, what's best for me. Mm -hmm. They're not saying, here are the options, what do you think? They're directing me based on what they hear, and they're giving me advice, and this is the, the advice they're giving me. So mm -hmm. I left that church, and I was dumbfounded. On the way home, I knew I had to go home and be the grown-up, because mm -hmm. my mother was at work in New York City. So I sat on a bridge, and uh, before I got on the bridge, I said, okay, when you walk on the bridge, you may be pregnant. You may experience pregnancy. You may understand that you're pregnant. And when you get off that bridge, you may not ever think that a freaking again. You are getting off there, and you're going to do your job. So I got on the bridge, and I started sobbing and saying, Aww. I'm so sorry. Aww. I didn't I wish I had a different option for you? Mm. I don't want to have to kill you, but mm. all the grown-ups are saying that's what's going to happen, and I'm super sorry. Mm. And I got up and I went and got a friend who would take me into New York City, or actually it was someplace in New York State. Mm. And I um, went and got the abortion, and it hurt. Because I didn't have enough money for anesthesia. Oh, my gosh. And so then I come home, and I'm bleeding, and I'm cramping, and I am vulnerable. And my mom is laying on the couch kind of napping. And so I thought, I'm just going to tell her that I'm sorry that I've been a horrible daughter, and I'm super sorry. Mm -hmm. And so I went in, and I got close to her face, and I said, Mommy, and I didn't do that because we already had this kind of relationship like this. She was talking about sex all the time, and I was just like, can't you just bake freaking cookies in the mm -hmm. kitchen and be wear an apron and be like Betty Crocker? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just said, Mommy, I just... Um, 
Mm. I had an abortion and she got up and she's like, don't you think I know that? Your friend did not drive you into New York City without asking my permission. She's 18 years old and she didn't take you without checking with me. I can't believe what a pain in the neck you've been since you were born. Nothing but trouble. And I just went, oh my gosh, whatever. And I went up to my room and I wrote in my diary that I still have with a pen that I was holding like a knife. I hate you, ripping through the pages. And though I lightly did drugs before then, I wow. went full in. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I had drug dealers who would no longer... I wanted to try acid because it's like, I need to go deeper in this crap because I mm. hurt and it won't stop. Mm. And he was like, you will die and they'll come after me. So no, not selling you that stuff. So I had drug dealers who would not sell me drugs. Were you aware that you were trying to kill yourself? Yes, because I couldn't stand the pain. Mm -hmm. The only thing that, the reason why I wanted to have this baby, I wanted to get adopted out. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like I had the right to do that with four babies behind me, my -hmm. brothers and sisters. I had an obligation to stay with them unless I had somebody more vulnerable. And the baby would have put me in that position where I have an excuse to get out mm-hmm. with honor. And that's what you were looking for. Yes. Get before, the like, heck out uh, yeah. and save me mm-hmm. from this insanity. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't. So I was seeing a counselor. Mm. I mean, she was just my mother would talk to her too. And mm, gosh. Anyway, at 16, so my mother's drinking all the time. And we are, our relationship is shattered because I can't stand her now. She knew and she let me kill a baby. And before it was like I had had sex with one boy before and I felt like that made me not great, but Mm. I wasn't terrible. And now I killed a baby and now I'm terrible because Mm, (laughs) everybody else could have pretended it was nothing, but it was not nothing. Mm -hmm. And I logically... I knew if I sat on the couch and ate pizza, out would come a baby. And that there was, you're not fooling me to say that's not what happened. Mm. Um, so I was just all into what, whatever. Wow. So. Where? Uh, like, were you going into the city? Were you? No, was I was at just school? at my high school looking for drugs any place. Like, I was taking quaaludes like crazy. When I met wow, my, man. when I met my husband, he said, I cannot, I was taking many a day, many. And my husband was like, how do you still function? It doesn't even bother uh, me. I actually, I'm going to pride myself. I don't even know what a quaalude, what is a oh, quaalude? It's a barbiturate. Oh, it's a barbiturate. Okay. Yeah, they were really big in the 80s. And in the Ugh. 70s. In the 70s. And just hallucinate, like No, no, they were not. Take away all your inhibition. They're like- j- and they just kind of, they're, uh, they sedate you. Yeah. Okay. So it's like alcohol, but without the feeling nauseous. Mm -hmm. So So numb, completely numb. It helps you not feel. Yes. Mm -hmm. It it stops all feeling. A lot of people, yeah. Mm. It's, it was, uh, people would say to me, uh, and I did a black beauty once, and it's like, I'm never going to do that again. I I don't drink caffeine. This is me on life. (laughs) I'm freaking 67 years old, and Mm -hmm. I'm wired for sound. Imagine me as a teenager. I was just like, Mm -hmm. so at 16, um, I need to go to my mother at the bar to pick up the car or do something. But the driver's license isn't until 17 in New Jersey. So I wasn't going to go pick up a car. I don't know what I was going to do. But I had to get to my mother to have this happen. And I was watching my sisters and brothers. And so she sent these guys over to pick me up to take me over to the bar. She had told them I was a slut and would sleep with anyone. And so I got in the car. They Mm -hmm. did not drive me to my mother's. They took me someplace else. Mm. They had a Marlboro hard pack box full of little tiny white pills. And they said, as one of them climbed on top of me, they said, if you start to yell, we will pour these down your throat. Oh, my gosh. And so I was (laughs) raped by them both. Then they brought me to my mother. I did whatever I had to do. And I went back home and acted like nothing happened. Not like nothing happened. I was just like dying inside. Mm-hmm. I just, it was like mm-hmm. being in a, a nightmare that just mm-hmm. wouldn't stop. 
um, I went and told the counselor. Oh my God. And I said, you know, these guys raped me. And she said, well, you know, it's like 1971. There's no such thing. It, you got in the car voluntarily. Mm-hmm. So wow. the cops are probably not going to be, and you've already had sex with people. Mm-hmm. So the cops are probably not going to be able to do anything about it. And I was just like, sure, of course not. Oh, my gosh. I got pregnant again at 17 um, by the same boy uh, to try to get the heck out of the house. And mm-hmm. at this point, the boy decides he's going to marry me. And he's in college. I'm in high school. And so he goes to the bar where my mother is. And he does his spiel. You know, I love your daughter. I'm going to marry her. And my mother says, Tom, you see those guys over there? She's had sex with them. She's had sex with so many people. You don't even know that this is your kid. Don't waste your life. Let me save you. Do not waste your life on her. So he went home, called me up, and crying, saying, no can do. Did you love him? No. He was a crazy person. And I knew if I married him, this was a big mistake that we were going to last like two minutes. <laughs> but I had to get out of there because right, he yeah. was just... Escapism. He was still your ticket. He, he, he was, was my ticket. only ticket. He yeah. was like sane, sort of. He had a mother and a father. He was the only kid. Um, he lived in a weird place in New Jersey. A weird neighborhood, had weird friends, and was weird sexually. And it's just like, this is not going to last. He is not my forever boy. Mm-hmm. But he but was... he'll get me out of this house. And I got to get the heck out. Wow. And there's like no freaking way. In the meantime, I'm still taking care of my brothers and sisters. And I'm in school. And I keep saying to my mother, I'm quitting. And she's like, no, you're not. And I go to school and it's just like... I, I don't even know what you're talking about. I was in the counselor's office all the time, but nobody stopped anything. No. So I just kept on taking drugs. Mm-hmm. And right on the library where you could look out of the school, there was the town library. And I would buy drugs right there and take them by the gobs. Oh, my gosh. Um, at 18, I got pregnant again. Wait, what happened to... I had an abortion. Another one, okay. Okay, so I, at 17, I go to the abortion clinic, and mm-hmm. I say to the person, because my mother drives me this time, mm-hmm. and I say to the person at the abortion clinic, whispering, because I don't know where my mother is in the building, and I said, I don't want to do this. Um, I would like to give the baby up for adoption. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, we don't do that here. And I said, but you must know somebody who can help me. And the woman said, I don't know somebody who can help you, but I'm not going to do this abortion unless you want to. And I said, well, I don't want to, but my mother's in the car and I have no way to get home and I have no home if I don't get in the car with her. And what do I do about school or a job? Mm -hmm. What do I do? Right. And she said, well, we can't help you here. You need to decide, are you doing this or not? Mm-hmm. Well, right in that moment. So I said, I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, what the heck? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm mm-hmm. pushing as hard as I know how to push. Right. What the frig do I do to make this stop? Mm-hmm. Who's going to do something? Um, so I had an abortion. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my word. Okay, okay. I got pregnant again at 18. So, okay, number three. And this time, same boy, this time I, because this boy is somehow now convinced that she's the crazy person and that I'm not, and I'm desperate for, to get out. Right. He's the boy I know to get out with. Mm-hmm. Um, so he now has talked to his parish priest, and the priest has arranged for me to go to a home for unwed mothers. The only place we could find from New Jersey was Waukegan, Illinois. Wow. So it's going to happen right after the Christmas holidays. So I'm home taking care of my brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And my father, my brother is on the phone with my father, who I don't see much of, but he lives up the street. And whenever I do see him, there is violence. So my parents are divorced. My mother is not home. So, and my mother, my father is living close by because he senses my mother is a bad mother. Hmm. Wow. Right. Sure. <laughs> so he and my brother fight on the phone, 
my brother, who's a year younger than me, I'm the smallest. It's like a Russian doll set. I'm the smallest. And Mm. then people get increasingly large as they come out. And so my youngest brother was like a bouncer in an Atlantic City bar because he's six foot six. So, and I'm the tiny one. (laughs) So at any rate, (laughs) exactly. My Hmm. brother hangs up the phone on my father and I know what happens next my father will come down the street and bash come into the house and start beating on my brother and that's what he did came down the street and it seemed like in record time bangs through the door and starts punching my brother and I'm not going to let that happen oh my gosh. because he's my mm-hmm. I've been caring for him and I'm not really responsible and I really can't do anything but I mm-hmm. can't mm-hmm. just stand there and let injustice mm-hmm. again keep happening yeah yeah so i mm. tell him to f off mm-hmm. which i suspected would make him be cranked up mm-hmm. and it did and he started beating me up and i started running and went out into traffic and he pushed me in front of a car i didn't get hit mm. but when i went to the home for unwed mothers where they said I was a very bad influence and they needed me to stay away from their girls. Oh, gosh. I ended up having a miscarriage. Oh, man. In the toilet. Oh, man. So, mm. so that's how that went. And I got married at 20, was pregnant again, and didn't do it on purpose. I was like, no, I did not do this. I did not do this. Mm-hmm. And my husband's, soon-to-be husband's first words out of his mouth was, have an abortion. And I said... F you, and I got my own place to live, which I never moved into, a place where I knew it was like a hostel. And I thought, this is not going to be a good place. These are Mm. weird people, and weird things are going to happen. This is not a cozy place. I can have this attic space, and I can make it cozy, but this is not a good choice. It was an actual hostel? Yeah. Okay. And it's my own, there was a whole bunch of people living there. Mm -hmm. And it just wasn't going to be okay. And I knew it wasn't going to be okay, but I couldn't figure out what I could afford, where I could be. Mm-hmm. It's the best I could do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, my soon-to-be husband changed his mind on that because I told him he could F off, and I was like, <laughs> not happening now. Mm-hmm. And we ended up getting married. I was pregnant when we got married, and it was 1975. Is that Mort? That is Mort. Oh, man. Magnificent Mort. Wow. Who, P.S., in your wedding picture looks like Heath Ledger. Exactly. His hair is longer than mine. Yeah. And he's got a brown, ruffly tuxedo. I mean, but he looks like a young Heath Ledger. I know, yeah. Yeah, my gosh. Is that a good place to end? Yep. That's a good place to end. Wow. I, uh, right? Just to me, what it, it, I mean, some of, so much of what you say resonates with me. Your trauma. Um, obviously went in a different direction than mine did, but there's that similar place of how when you're a child and you're in a traumatic situation, you keep looking for whatever escape you can. And Mm. you looked in one way and I looked in a different way, but that systematic, systemic, cyclical abuse just keeps happening and happening. And the grownups around don't, Either they don't know the signs or they don't know. I mean, back in the 70s, I remember because my grandma was in really bad situations in that time frame too. And there there was no such thing as domestic violence. There was no such thing as child abuse. There was no such thing as rape. There was no such thing as, you know, that poor woman at Planned Parenthood probably really truly didn't know how to help you. Like there was just such a lack of escape and, and helping people to break any cycle. And so... Because it's a complicated thing. An abortion is a $200, whatever, Band-Aid. I'm not solving your problem, which is why I was in Feminist for Life for 10 years and served on their national board of directors, because that's how you solve the problem. You have to spend time with somebody. There's aftercare. It's complex. It's right. messy. It's not, here's money, make it stop. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And there's a deeper, that systemic... Abuse. It's so real because you could see it even with your mother, like how she, because of her abuse, now she abuses. And then you get, got into this situation where you were 
abusing yourself and getting doing whatever you could. And it's so fascinating how hmm. how we just it all takes different you know waves, but it all comes from the same place of brokenness, fear, lack of feeling loved and appreciated and wanted, and being being wanted. I mean, there's this huge, I mean, the fact that you have so many younger siblings and they were, your parents were only married for such a short time, you know, that says a lot about what your parents were doing. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like we're fighting. Let's have sex and make up. Oops. Oopsie Daisy. Here's another baby. Oh, let's fight. Okay. And now we're going to make up. Oopsie Daisy. Here's another baby. Not even knowing that there was a way, like you actually have to raise those humans. Like there's so much deeper issues in what causes abuse Mm -hmm. and it all comes out in such different ways. And it's, it's so sad because your mom and dad also had horrible childhoods. My father, my grandmother, who I loved my grandmother, my father's grandmother and my father's father when I was five years old, he paid me a dollar to lick his tongue. Yeah. So Gross. it was just, he had pornography all over the place. He just, my mother heard about that and she just went wild. But I thought it's disgusting. Is that the one dollar, time that she stood up for you? Well, it's pretty much. It's like, it's the Jeez. same thing. Like different people, like be, my mother had a very similar childhood as yours. And, and so I, respecting her privacy, I won't go into it. So, the one thing that my mom was super protective of me was men. Like, so no matter what she was doing in her own life, she was incredibly protective of me and my sister with men. And so I am a rarity that I was able to live in the systemic poverty and the systemic violence and abuse that was my family's tradition. And I was never sexually assaulted. That was my mother's battle that she fought to the end for Hmm. and I will be thankful for her for that she didn't do a lot else but that was but that was her thing because Mm -hmm. she that was at least something that she could resonate with that not my kid and so I think Hmm. but that and that's a miracle like it's a miracle for the lifestyle that she had and you know the lifestyle that my family was with the parties and the bands and you know we were musical like the amount of strange men that came in and out of my life the fact that I was never abused is a is a mercy of God my um mother taught us to smoke dope and roll joints because she wanted us to party at the house yeah and all the men who came through the house some of whom tried to do things to me fortunately did not it's just like when you were really little? Because they didn't get divorced till I was 14. No, no, no. I mean, 13. When you, she taught you how to roll a doobie when? No, we were, as soon as they were divorced. Hmm. As um, soon as they were separated. Okay. She was like kind of having her childhood, it felt like. Yes, that's what, how uh, old was your mother when she had you? Was she really young? Yeah, I think she was older than I was when I, so I think she was 22. Yeah, I think that was one I was of the 21 things. when I had my first. Yeah, I was the... I, both my grandmother and my mother both had their children as teenage, their first children as teenage, they were teenage parents. And I do see that same thing is that hmm. like there was this, like I need to still have my teenage yep, years. Exactly. So don't, you can't ruin. That's what it felt like. I mean, I that's, can't say. Yeah. I can't say that that's exactly, exactly what my parents were saying to themselves, but that's definitely because the of vibe. the wildness factor, you know? Oh yeah. Because the of wildness. the, out with a different man every night. My mother telling me, I just made this guy blah, blah, blah. In his pants. Yeah. And she was wicked proud of herself for that. I was oh, just like, man. don't talk to me about that stuff. She goes, well, you have sex. Where were all of your siblings at the time? Were they uh, just hearing this too? No. That's the thing. They didn't, they weren't you part, they kind of, I don't, them. yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. And when they heard fighting, when you hear fighting in an abusive house, you don't you, stay around. You run and hide, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. You're trying to, you know, la, 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 la. Yep. You play music, you do something so you don't have to think about it. Tuck and run, that's what we used to call it, tuck and run. Yeah, yeah. and I think the same thing. I also think as the firstborn, oh, there's yeah. a, a different relationship, especially I think firstborn female with first with their mother, if, especially if it's an abusive relationship. Like 
I, and it's been interesting with my own past and working it through with my sister, I was so protective of her too. When yeah. I, I could tell by the way my mother drove into the driveway, mm-hmm. yep. what kind of mood she was in. Mm-hmm. And my our house that we lived in, my sister's bedroom had, was, had a closet in the eaves and it went down really low. Mm-hmm. And I would go and hide her in the closet because I knew what was going to happen and I was ready. I was going to take it. Mm-hmm. And, and anytime you watch any kind of a show, a real life show where there's that kind of difficulty, you watch the older kids and they're just babying their babies. Yeah. Because they're trying to make a home. Mm-hmm. They're trying to, so it's a totally normal mm-hmm. routine. Right. I don't know if a boy would do it. I think some boys would do it. It depends on the boys. I think some boys, but I do, I do think there's that maternal piece. And I yeah. don't have brother. I mean, I don't have brothers, so I can't speak to that. But that's definitely how me and my sister's relationship were. So much so that later in life, Michelle and I had to work through when I went to college she left home. Like, she went and moved in with my dad. Yeah. So um, she was 12. She didn't... Oh, wow. And so she... she didn't feel safe. So, well, absolutely or, not. Right. So she went and lived with our dad. Mm-hmm. And she, I remember her being really angry at me yep, in my late late, in 20, late late teens and 20s when I was in my college stage and first married to Peter. Mm-hmm. Because she did feel like I had abandoned her. And it took until we were, you know, in our 30s, late 20s and 30s for us to talk that out of like, I was 19. (laughs) Like, sure. I was 19. I had to get out. And her, Hmm. and, but at the same time, the tremendous guilt I had. Exactly. That I, maybe I shouldn't have left. Maybe I should have taken her to college with me. What could yeah. I have done? Did I, you know, like starting mm-hmm. to like make those. Yeah. Take her to college with me. I mean, literally. So, I mean, yeah. yep. mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a coincidence that when I had my blow up with my my mother, that kind of ended our relationship three years ago where I actually severed those bonds completely. My therapist said to me, you realize why you did that. And I had no idea. That night, my mother had tried to use triangulation against my daughter, which I was like, oh, back it up. I will cut you, (laughs) my Emma, Mustang Sally. And then she did it to my sister, and she allowed her now husband to verbally be aggressive with my sister. And my therapist said, do you not see that? Like, you are so used to being abused. Like, it's so normal for you. That you're mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm the I'm the pawn. I'm who she manipulates. Give it to me all day long. But when she tried to do it to Mustang Sally or to my baby sister, I lost my mind. Mm-hmm. And during this whole process with my grandmother, it's been the same thing. I can be calm. I mean, I'm not nice. I'm very like rigid, and but I can be calm, cool, and collected and have a conversation as soon as she in any way triggers my sister. Mm-hmm. I go for the jugular. I just, I <laughs> mean, yep. at, one, at one time we were sitting in a room and Peter looked at me. He's like, I've never seen you like that before. It was guttural. Like I, mm-hmm. like, and, and to this day, mm-hmm. if yes. I watch somebody who's a bully to somebody else, I cannot tolerate it. Cannot. Yes. If I watch a, a political system that is bullying other people, if I watch a person who's bullying an entity that's bullying, I'm like, I'm going to stand in the gap. I yeah. am not putting up with this. Mm-hmm. You are not bullying these people. And normal people who have not had that happen to them kind of are just passive in it. They don't necessarily see what's happening. And I we, go, I go you see it right away mm-hmm. when yeah. it's happening. I go ballistic. And you guys don't stand for it. And that's beautiful, actually, because... It's exhausting, though, because sure. sometimes sure. They, there are battles that that aren't ours to fight. And that's where I'm trying to have healthy boundaries of, like, I can't, I can't, have save everything i can't save everything i can't do everything i can't i just have to take a breath i have to take a breath and 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 walk away and i've had to do that several times in my life of what what am i when i die who 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 am i obligated to when i stand before the lord yep i am obligated for how i lived my life my marriage and my children and so like those are like the three tasks that 
you know, I've been are given yours. that are mine. Now I need to influence and be kind and be a good neighbor and all of those things. But like, I won't be held accountable for all of those things like you are with your, with your own choices and with your own. And so that's where I've had to put some me- mega boundaries up mega because boundaries. I would do the same thing. I would be the exact same way. I would be protesting at every protest and I would be mm-hmm. marching in every march and I would be wearing every. <laughs> so when did you just, we can tie this up, but when, when did you find Jesus? Was that later in your marriage? No, it was, um, I was pregnant with my second son. So it was 1978. God sent somebody to the door to knock on the door, literally, hmm. to knock on the door. They went around to 200 houses, um, two different families hmm. opted to say yes, and Mort and I were two of them. There were three people total. Mort and I were two. I mean, he literally sent somebody knocking on the door of my heart. Oh. So, and they were, they were doing a campus crusade for Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, questionnaire just came to the door. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? And it's like, sure, yeah, okay, that sounds good. And then they're like, okay, so will you do this? And I said, well, look, I don't even say God bless you anymore because mm-hmm. I've done stuff. Sure. And they're like, well, but Jesus forgives you. And I said, actually, I've killed babies, so I'm not sure he does. And they're like, no. And they opened up the Bible and they said, he's mm-hmm. forgiven me for everything. And I was like, hmm. I'll have to talk to my husband about it. Let me ch- <laughs> come back tomorrow. I love that. <laughs> Let me. And they did. And they did. Of course Aww. they did. And we got saved and we got baptized. And it took a couple of years for that to have an impact because wow. it didn't just go. I know. Look, I'm different now. <laughs> no. But trauma runs deep. But then I was different because yes. I dug in, read every commentary, went to every service, was in your butt about everything. Spent yes. $200 a month at the Christian bookstore, brought it all home, was reading all the time because yeah. the buck stopped here, baby. It was yeah. not going to happen again. And in your heart space, did you feel loved by God? Yep. You did. He, this much. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. So yeah. I did it kind stop. of make, I mean, did it, did it tip the scale for you emotionally? Cause I know it totally changed me. It did. Yeah. Except that my marriage was not great mm-hmm. because, cause Mort kept saying things like, um, he, he was, he liked me, but he was passive. And anytime we went by a church, he would say things like somebody getting married, another sucker bites the dust. Oh, and I'd be like, what? Wait, Why are you saying that? Where is that coming from? So he, it, it's really only been in the last 15 years that he has acted like he's in love with me. Oh, wow. But now he acts like he's in love with me pretty big. <laughs> yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. I'm always <laughs> feeling like I have to look the other way. Like, <laughs> like Amber feels when she's around Kurt and I. <laughs> they're more adorable, though. You guys make me gag. Oh, but they're more... <laughs> not me it's not me is it oh it's the two it's of you mostly Kurt. but i think okay. it's because we've grown up together it's a whole right, different right. thing but when i see more just ew, totally ew. like yeah. muckle on i'm like yes he is so precious we'll save all of that yes that yeah. trauma save for it. the next one let's Thank eat marion i'm sorry that that was so hard and so good and i know i don't even have to guess i know that that's gonna bless so many people and i it, hope it, so it blesses me too because abuse is something that's so freaking relative I was just talking to my mom about this this morning and I said you know one's abuse if held up against yours is so relative and then you can't but I feel like there's always somebody out there who it's there's something worse you know and then you're like okay I guess that wasn't so bad Uh, you know at least I whatever but but your story in particular has a level that could be a series, Made it could be a, a, a book that would just be so heart. It's so heart wrenching. I mean, the I think that that moment when you said your dad was getting angry because I remember that the most out of when you and I were talking when you when he threw you in front of a car and then you lost your baby. Like for some reason, that sort of like reckless, violent, um, unlove. Mm. It is just heart breaking, and it's, uh, the whole reason why I wanted to do this was that 
you survived. I, I wanted to do like I, sur- this I survived series, Not basically. Just that, that too, but uh, you don't have to be anybody's victim. I mean, that's the whole thing. I'm not going to be anybody's victim. I talk to people all day long. I talked to a guy the other day who financially, as a financial advisor, financially uh, got snookered uh, by crooks and tried to steal money from his account by having him go here and go there. And it got caught. The bad guys got caught and it got reversed. But he feels unlovable because he did that. It's like, you're going to let those people live in your head? You're going to let them victimize you again because you're going to continue to beat your freaking self up? Do not do that. I said, I was raped by two guys. Was that my fault? And he said, no, of course not. And I said, why are you acting like bad guys hurting you is your fault? Right. Stop that crap. But that's so human. Yes, but that is not it's, God. No. That is not God. Is not God. Conviction no. is God. Guilt is baloney. Yes. Mm. Okay? And that whole... Guilt is baloney. And letting the bad guys mm-hmm. win is not what's going to happen here. Right, right. So, I am just I am just coming to terms with that, actually. Letting the bad guys is not going to happen here. And not having any sympathy for them. I've been very sympathetic, trying to be like, well... This is very sad, and they didn't have a good childhood either, and blah, 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 blah. I was like, no, I, actually, someone abusing you in any way, whether it's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, anything, that is unacceptable behavior. Correct. Unacceptable. You do not have to put up with that. And you can be compassionate towards the other people. They're lost. They need God. Nevertheless, you're a, a, a criminal. Yeah. You're a sinner, and you, you're either... The evil needs to be destroyed and your life needs to be redeemed, but we can't have this happen. And the victim has to have the priority. And your sin is the thing that blocks you from everything else. Mm -hmm. And you can be abused. You know, like you said, it is relative. But because you have been abused, that doesn't give you an excuse. Correct. To not work through that. God uses all things. Amen. Mm -hmm. I just because Miriam was abused or I was abused or you were abused by like whatever it is that doesn't then therefore give us the right to go forward and abuse other people and say, oh, well, I had a really bad childhood. Mm -hmm. No, I am obligated to work that out and see how that will be redeemed because all things are redeemable. Mm -hmm. Marion's story is redeemable. My story is redeemable. Your story is redeemable. And the redemption is still redemption. So that's relative Mm -hmm. too. So, you know, one of my favorite analogies your dad used to say to me, Rach, all the time about when we go to heaven, our cup will overflow. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, like in the 23rd Psalm, my cup overflows. He's like, you know what? Some people have a shot glass. Some people Aww. have a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Some people have a wine glass. Some people Aww. have a pilsner. Some <laughs> people have one of those big Gatorade coolers that they dump on coaches when they win. It doesn't matter. It's all overflowing. That's so that's so good. That is it's so all good. overflowing. Right. So is mm-hmm. the is the man on the tree behind Jesus who gets redeemed in his last seconds of his life who probably is a thimble? Right. Is his is his grace unquenched? No, his simple is never mm. versus, you know, a martyr who has mm-hmm. truly lived out their faith to the furthest place who has a big a, old a swimming pool. Swimming pool. <laughs> it's still overflowing. Like so our good. cup overflows. Mm-hmm. And so and it goes that same way. Like your redemption overflows. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if your abuse was a thimble size or the trauma that you need to work through. Don't right. minimize that because no. that is yours to yes. be redeemed mm-hmm. with God versus, you know, right. if it was. You do not have close. to stand there and compare your do trauma compare to someone your else's deal to with diminish your pain. it. Right. Do not compare your pain. We're not trying to deal win. with it. You don't want to win this contest. Yes. Because right. my mother was always trying to win the contest oh, of gosh, who had the worst amazing. life. And that's just, what the heck are you doing in that? Yeah. <laughs> I the book that I'm reading right now it's um psychological abuse it's um the something something surviving hidden ugh, I'm so horrible with information anyway I I'll put it in the show notes but she refu- the author refuses to call anyone of the vic- the survivors a vic- she calls them survivors she's like yes. you're not a victim you're a survivor you're nobody's yes. victim you're you are a survivor not a victim any any 
right. any longer. And as a survivor, you get to share your story and help someone else survive as Better. well and, and, yes. and change the narrative in their story to not... You, Yes, you were victimized, but you are a survivor. And you Beth survived. Moore, um, in her book, The Inheritance, in her Bible study, The Inheritance, talks about how you need to take every section of your story. Do not see these shameful bits and say, I don't want to talk about that part mm. of my story. She wants you to take the north, south, east, and west, your talents, your tendencies, your backstory that's full of Garbage. Exactly. <laughs> and your future. Mm-hmm. And she wants every bit of that walked on just like you would a piece of property. If you leave something to be weed grown and infested, that becomes Satan. You're afraid. You're embarrassed. You're shamed about that. And it's like, mm-hmm. it's all Jesus. It's all his. He is going to use that and turn it into something beautiful Mm -hmm. for other people because out of the compassion he has shown to us, we can show it to somebody else. It's really important to not be ashamed of Mm -hmm. your story. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. That's wonderful. Let's eat. Let's (laughs) eat. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye. Bye. If you think of anyone, your mother, your sister, your bestie, your mailman, uh, the person who watches your kids after school, just share this podcast today with a friend and we would be so, so grateful. Thanks, guys. Bye.